0: Welcome to How We Got Here, UVM Stories, the podcast where we interview alumni from the University of Vermont and share their career stories. Our goal is to unpack how they got from point A to point B in a way that is tangible and practical for our listeners. Hey, Alex, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you on here.
1: Hey, John, stoked to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. So I just wanted to quickly call out that I got connected with you because of Maya Perry, former guest on the show and UVM is a very small world and she recommended I reach out to you and you were very warm and, and excited to join the podcast. And so, you know, again, reaching out to people, I think it, it's really effective, really important. And so why don't you start for our audience and just introduce yourself, talk about where you're from, the year that you graduated UVM, your major, and then what you're working on today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I'm Alex that Wynn. I grew up outside of Boston in Concord, Massachusetts, so I'm a New England boy by heart. I graduated UVM in 2012, and today I work at a company called Stripe, so I'm based out of San Francisco, and I work on our partnerships team.
0: And students have asked this question, I've been asking my guests a lot, would you mind just walking through a day in the life of your role at Stripe?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So Stripe's based in San Francisco and we have our headquarters kind of in the heart of, of the city. We have a super beautiful building, seven floors. And I usually walk in, have a pretty incredible breakfast. They're serving us three meals a day. So feel super blessed on that front. And my day is super client-facing. So I'm on the partnerships team. I'm working on new business with software platforms. Stripe's a payments platform. So we enable all sorts of businesses to take payments online. And a lot of the businesses that use Stripe are actually marketplaces and software platforms. So businesses that will want to split money or move money in different ways. So an example of that could be Lyft, which is you know, a software platform that enables a driver to give a ride to an end customer and Lyft needs to take a cut of that. And I work on our side that focuses on specifically on B2B software platforms. So a good example of that would be Shopify. So a lot of my job day to day is coming in and making sure that I'm seeing how things are progressing on the different deals that I'm working on. So a lot of times I'll have a few client calls a day that can range from a discovery call where I'm getting on the call with a client and just getting to know them, understanding a bit more about their business, how they would want to potentially partner with Stripe. That could also range from a, a more deeper dive product demo where I'll be leading a demonstration on Stripe's product, going through the different areas that they could build on top of us. A lot of times I'll pull in a technical counterpart to lead part of that conversation. I have a lot of different internal meetings that I'm doing, like projects that we're working on specific to my team or to Stripe in general. Uh, A lot of times we'll have clients come on site for either lunch or uh, on-site meetings. And then also just doing emails, doing contracting, doing negotiation. So it's really like a a sales role, partnerships role, and a lot of my time is spent running around the office or on the computer at the desk and working with different folks on the team.
0: Yeah, that's a really great overview. And Stripe, if if you're not familiar, it it is a really big player in the technology space. It's not as well-known as some other companies, but you found yourself, obviously, an incredible company. and, And I really do want to go through the story of how you got there. So why don't we take a step back, actually? You're from Massachusetts. I like to call this the origin story. How did you end up at the University of Vermont?
1: So like a lot of folks who end up at UVM, I'm a huge outdoorsman. And that was actually a big draw of me attending UVM. I grew up skiing. I grew up playing all sorts of sports, being outdoors. So I naturally was always drawn to UVM and wanted to stay in New England for the most part. I think I only looked at a few schools that were outside of New England, and it was really down between UVM and Syracuse. And I am incredibly, incredibly happy that I ended up at UVM. I came on campus. I think it was a probably a late spring day. So it was one of those days where everyone's stoked that the winter's finally over and oh, right. the sun's out and people are not bundled up. So I think that that was a factor where yeah. uh, I was on campus and I was like, wow, this place is beautiful. 45 minutes from Stowe where I grew up skiing. I you know wanted to be in a place that I could balance education have a liberal arts education. I didn't know what I was going to major in when I came in. I was always interested yep. in history. So I was kind of leaning towards that. And then I wanted a place where I could balance that, that education, different programs and, and the outdoors and sports. And so it just felt like the right place being from New England, where one, I was far enough away from home, where I like didn't feel like, you know, I, I could just bounce back home every weekend. But I was also close enough that I could easily get back for Thanksgiving and, and see the family. Sure.
0: That's definitely something that that I hear a lot with the distance from, you know, home. So talk to me a little bit about your major. You you know that you're interested in history. When you get to school, were you undecided and then end up in that major? What did that process look like?
1: Yeah. So I was definitely undecided. I think I probably declared towards the end of freshman year, early sophomore year, if I had to guess. I mean, my background is I, I was always interested in learning, but I was, I never gravitated towards like the or sciences. So right. for me, I'm a super curious guy, but that just never excited me. So going in, even going into college, I was always interested in marketing and social media and all that. So I, I would have done a marketing major, I think. But at UVM, a marketing major required you to do a lot of the prereqs on business. Like essentially, I think it was a part of business school. And I knew I didn't want to do calculus and it, I, I would have just frankly struggled. So I think Partly the way that the system was set up at the time led me away from doing that major. And I had always been really interested in history, specifically European history. I'm Jewish, so I was always always interested in Eastern Europe, the Holocaust, all of that history. And so I kind of listened to myself and I thought like, all right, I'm going to be in this school for four years. The purpose is to learn and grow as a student and as a person. I could choose a major that I would probably struggle in, in order to get some knowledge in a small part of that major. I can just study what I, I love and I gravitate towards naturally. So that's what brought me to history. And then I think I specialized within Eastern Eastern Europe history, European history partway through. And then my minor was in French. I always had studied French through high school. I knew I wanted to study abroad. I knew I wanted to learn a second language. And so kind of having studied European history and added in French felt like a A natural thing to do.
0: Yeah, that's so cool. I, you know, a lot of times I think students think about, well, what, what, what am I going to be able to do with this major when I graduate college? And of course, there's certainly some degree of you want to think about that, but then really at the end of the day, and I think you're going to talk about this, it's Mm -hmm. your drive, your ambition, your curiosity to keep learning is really what's going to set you apart. And so your history major, you've obviously done very well. Stripe is, is again, amazing company and so you you figure that out and that's what I, I want to walk through. But the lesson in here is you listened to yourself mm-hmm. and you figured out what you were drawn to and that's what you started taking coursework in, which is something that's hard for a lot of people. For sure. And so I'm sure you get that feeling of being excited. So really try to listen to yourselves. Try to put your parents' message, your peers, all of that out of your head and, and start to develop that inner voice that you trust because this has served you really well And so you get into this history major. What were you thinking at the time? You know, when when you're in school, did you feel some of the pressures of, oh boy, what am I going to do with this after school? You know, what kind of career can I have? Were you thinking about
1: that at all? Yeah, that's a great question. And if I told you no, I probably would be lying. (laughs) Right. I don't though, honestly, I don't think I was thinking about it till much later in my career at UVM. Yeah, I think I was really focused on how do I get the most out of this experience in college? I mean, I think I had a slight sense for how fortunate I was to be able to even be in that position, to be in a four-year college and, you know, be in a position where my parents were h- helping me do that. I think now I have even more of an appreciation for that and how how incredible right. that is that I got to spend all that time. So I think one I I felt like I had the safety and the space for my parents to pursue a major that interested me. And they, they weren't really pressuring me to figure everything out and to figure out what I was going to do after college. It's just not the type of parents they're going to be. So everyone's different. Like I think if I had that parents, maybe I would be thinking differently. But fortunately, mine you know, gave my brother and I a lot of space to just be who we wanted to be and pursue what we loved. Yeah. And so I think you know, your background is going to give you a different perspective on how much you're thinking about. The future and pressures, but I think what you said, John, is 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 spot on. I mean, I think society puts a ton of pressure on us to figure everything out. And when you're in college, you're 18 years old, and the way that I look at my career, the the you know the thing in my life, really, the things that have brought me the most success and joy are just pursuing what I love, being curious, talking to people, being open to change and making sure that I'm always being true to myself and when you're open to opportunities like that things just fall into place I think right when you're young and in general people really try to control things and figure things out and if I look at my life path I you know it just never works out that way right uh, everything that I've done in my career my career has not been a straight shot by any means I have bounced around and changed things I'm doing changed changed what my focus has been I've been in different industries I've worked for myself, I've worked for companies, so but everything somehow leads you to the next thing. And it right. gets you like I think of everything that I've done as a stepping stone to ultimately where I want to be in life, but I try to be patient about getting to that place.
0: That's really important is is the patience piece. And you do the fundamentals right and you know you're you're being curious, you're you're doing a lot of things that we're going to deep dive into. And it just seems to work out. And that and that's the thing. We And you, you're right. We try to control things. And for students, because I, I know how this felt. I was an economics major thinking, what am I going to do with this major? Yeah. I can only do this or I can only do that. But the way with technology and social media and, and LinkedIn and just the, ability to reach out to people and connect is going to be really important. And so as we tell your story, I think that's really going to shine through. And so so you're in school, so you're, you're probably thinking about these things. Is there anything notable from the beginning of, of you know, maybe the first, second, and early third year that, that you wanted to call out?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think one, I got lucky that I found my people really early on. I, I was living in Buckham, which I don't think exists anymore. I think they knocked it. Yeah, it
0: doesn't. The yeah. shoebox
1: storms down, rest in peace. But I roomed with a good friend of mine from high school, this guy, Spencer Lovejoy. You should connect with him, by the way.
0: Yeah, he actually, I believe he just married one of one of a good friend of my friends, Sarah, Sarah Jacobson. I was just yeah. at their
1: wedding. I was no a boozeman. That's yeah. great.
0: That is. Oh, good. Okay. All right. He, now he it's all coming together. Vermont, too. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's yep. right. Wow. Okay.
1: Yeah. So him and I were roommates freshman year and we knew each other in high school and we ended up on Buckham and like, pretty much all my best friends for the rest of my time at UVM came from that floor. So I was lucky in that I found my people really early on. And I felt like I had a sense of belonging really early on. And I think that if there's anything you can do in your first year or two, like obviously figure out what you want to study and make sure you're studying things that interest you and find programs and and other things that interest you, but like find your sense of belonging because everything else will fall into place if you do that. So I got lucky in that that happened really early on. I was able to like you know, get more involved in in the ski club and get outdoors a lot. The other thing that that really helped me is I did this program called Dream, which I'm pretty sure still exists. It's a mentoring program where you get paired up with uh, someone from the, the Somalian refugee community. Most of them live in Winooski. And I had a, a 10 at the time. And by the time we stopped working together, a 12-year-old kid named Abdi, who was from Somalia. Yeah. And his family lived in Winooski. And the program just had you like one-on-one mentorship. you'd hang out with your your mentee once a week, and then you would meet up. I think it was like once a month, everyone did group activities together, and that was a really important part of my time at UVM. It you know, it, doing those type of things just helped give me more of a sense of of belonging and a sense of being a part of that community, And that you know I've always enjoyed working with kids. I was a camp counselor babysitter, all that. And I actually am a mentor now just to a kid out here in a similar program as Dream. So I think a couple of those things happened where from really early on, UVM felt right for me. And I know that doesn't always happen for everyone. And I would say the biggest thing when you're 18, 19 is just finding your people. So that happened for me early on. And I always knew I wanted to study abroad and had incredible experience doing that. I studied abroad in Paris and worked on my French and you know, a bunch of my friends were studying abroad in different cities. So I traveled around and visited them. I think if you can make that work financially and with you know other obligations like sports in your major, I, I highly, highly recommend that as well.
0: Yeah. I'm so glad I asked that question because that really is important to find your people and find your community. That's That happened for me at UVM pretty early on too. And it just made the rest of the time a lot easier and you just mentioned going to a Spencer's wedding. And I'm actually going to be the justice of the peace for a wedding of two of my really close friends from college. And so it's nice to see that. And UVM has that tight-knit community. And the lesson for the students and even alumni in there is just get out there and go do things. I know I, I say this in a lot of episodes, pretty much every single one, but find the things that you're drawn to and just leave the dorm and go do them because it, it can help you build the social skills. It can help you have experiences to talk about as you start to interview. And it's not always about the, you don't always have to be so focused on that. So I'm glad we took a little bit of time to talk about those experiences and just highlight how important it is. that The people matter a lot too. You got to have fun. You've got to enjoy life. Absolutely. And you know UVM really does does a lot of things to help make that happen. And so if you're a student and you're, and you're struggling a little bit with that, join some groups people are so friendly you know I, I really think that if you're able to get yourself to do that you'll find those lifelong friends that so many of us on the show have, have talked about and so now you know as you get into later in your career at UVM what are you thinking post graduation
1: so kind of ladders back to your last question too John in the sense like of, of things that happened in years one through three that had an impact I ended up having an internship a marketing internship while I was at UVM, I think it was junior or senior year with a local marketing agency called Okay. Okay. This guy, Luis Calderon, he actually ended up being Bernie Sanders last campaign. He was like Bernie Sanders head of social media. So super oh, wow. cool guy. And yeah. my, my good friend of mine from freshman year dorm, tying back to Buckham, this kid, Sam Kelly, who grew up in Acton town over for me, he was working with luis and doing you know some marketing stuff and he knew that i was always interested in marketing and social media and so i felt like getting an internship pretty sure it was unpaid but getting an internship in marketing was a great way to say okay i didn't take this path of being a marketing major but let me get some like real life skills by doing an internship right. so that i'm i'm kind of being able to do both things i'm being able to study what i love but then also learn something that I feel like I'm interested in and could become a, a career path. So Great. I did a six month internship with them and we were doing social media and community management for some music brands that that OK OK had on as clients, like this, this record label called Banana Beat Records. And so I got my first taste of kind of the social media world. And that was 2010, 2011, a lot, a lot different than it is now. It was, it was much more organic social media. You're really focused on building a brand and a community. And that really excited me. So I kind of got a taste for that. And I was like, okay, maybe, maybe this could become a career path. And so I had that in the back of my head of, all right, I don't know exactly what I want to do. I also knew that I didn't want to start working a full-time job in whatever career path that I chose right after college. So a lot of my friends were going to all the job fairs and I went to them just to see what was going on. Yep. But they all were starting to figure out, like, how do I sign a letter in June to start a job? And that just was not where I was at. I, I just knew that that wasn't right for me for whatever reason. I felt it in my gut that if I started a job right away and just started on the career path, I would not be happy and that I might find myself trapped and not able to experience different things in life that I wanted to experience. So. Interesting. Yeah, I wanted to plant seeds in terms of figuring out things that interested me. That internship really helped, and then I really just was like, okay, how can I spend some time doing things that I love before I start figuring out what job I want to do? And happy to speak about what I what I did in that time.
0: I'm I'm curious. So again, you know, for you so far, a theme I see emerging is you listen to yourself and you give yourself permission to say it's okay. Because again, we talked about the societal pressures or the peer pressures, because things change so quickly. You know, if you're feeling a certain way, give yourself permission to pursue that. Yeah. You know, think about what that what the implications are. You have to have accountability for yourself. You have to know, okay, I'm gonna take the time to do this. This could mean, you know, potentially missing opportunity or, or you know, but again, you have time and it, this has worked out well for you. So talk to me a little bit more. I mean, how did you spend that time? What are some of the things that you were doing?
1: So... There were a couple paths in my head that I had for how to spend the time. And it wasn't really like an allotted period of time. But I either was going to go and teach English in a foreign country. So I was thinking about teaching English in, in Thailand. I had a few friends that were my brother's age who had done that. And I heard about their experiences. And I always was, you know, I mentioned that I, I loved working with kids. So I'd always been super interested in in teaching and education. So I felt like that was a good opportunity But in my heart, I really wanted to go and be a ski bum for a year. And my brother had done it in Colorado. My dad had done it in Colorado. And I just, at the time, I couldn't find anyone to do it with me. So I I didn't want to move out alone and I wanted a buddy to do it. So I couldn't find anyone. And I was like, all right, my folks live on Cape Cod. I was bartending in the summer, saving money. And I had pretty much put in all the plans to go to move to Phuket, Thailand to do this teaching thing. And then I think it was like September, October, my buddy, Matt Lombardo calls me up and he says, let's do a ski year. And so I immediately jumped on that and we were thinking of different places. And we actually ended up moving out to Jackson, Wyoming, which is where I am as I speak to you right now. Yeah, very cool. And we, yeah, we just moved out with very little plans. We drove out from mass in his car and arrived and got a house in town and just went around town putting out resumes and we ended up both working at a hotel in the village where the, the mountain is, doing serving, room service, bartending. And then we both also worked as ski instructors at the at the mountain. And so we just skied a, a ton, probably like a hundred days that year in the mountain in the backcountry, bartended, saved up money. And then I went back to the Cape, bartended some more, saved up some more money. I went on a a birthright trip to Israel around that time, early that summer, and that had a super big impact on me. I went and traveled Southeast Asia for a few months, so I got to go see Thailand and do all that and experience that. That was incredible. I actually went with a UVM friend and a bunch of Vermonters. And then I felt like after that, I was ready to start to pursue something that I felt like was a little more sustainable. I loved living in Jackson. I absolutely loved it. I, I actually was like pretty committed to doing a second year. And then I think over the time of traveling and I came back to Jackson for another month or two, the next winter to ski instruct. And I just felt ready. Like I just, I knew like, Hey, I could do this for another season and I'd have a blast, but is that what's going to progress me and challenge me in this next part of my life? And the answer, right, you know, didn't feel like it was yes. So I started to make plans to, to do the next thing. and. Right before going on that trip to Southeast Asia, I visited my brother in San Francisco who had just moved out here. He had started he had moved out here with Google. And so he was working at Google and SF. And my whole plan was to move to New York City after all my travels and start working for a company called VaynerMedia, Media, which yep. is in the social media space and had like a family friend connection. And I got hooked up with Gary, who's the CEO of the company. And he was like, All right, when you're done with your thing, just apply. And came out to SF. I was here for a week, day 3, I was hiking yep, some mountain in the bay area. A bunch of my high school friends moved out here, my brother was out here and we were hiking this mountain. I was like, there is no way I can move to New York City after seeing the lifestyle these people are living here, <laughs> living in right. a city with great jobs but also able to balance things that I love. So it felt a lot like the kind of the trade-offs were right where you know, moving from Wyoming to New York would have been a lot moving to, from Wyoming to San Francisco was just felt like a better balance. So went on that trip, came back and it was like Jan one, 2014. I moved to San Francisco and a month or two later, I ended up being at VaynerMedia in their San Francisco office. So it just felt like the, the universe was telling me that I could kind of have both things and, you know, go to the city that I felt like was right for me and be near my brother and friends. And and so that was kind of the the start of the next chapter, if you will.
0: Yeah. Th- so there's some really good insights there. You know, again, you're really sticking true to being real with your, being honest with yourself about what you want. And because a lot of things like that, you will think, okay, th- this sounds good, right? Moving here yeah. sounds good in my mind, but until I actually go and experience it, I really don't know what that's going to look like. And sometimes you have to make a decision, choose it, go. And but this is. This is big because gary vaynerchuk i'm I'm a huge fan. I think he's become so much more well known So you had a friend who worked at vaynermedia i mean what what did that look like like how did you end up? Did you sit down with Gary in person? were you on the phone what What did that conversation look like
1: yeah so my my uncle on my dad's side is his business partner. Their wives were friends. So Gary's wife is really good friends with my uncle's partner's wife, and yep. so in college, I had these social media and marketing internships, and my uncle was kind of always in the back of my of his head. my uncle was like, "Oh, I should you know hook you up with Gary because Vaynermedia was already a thing then I think, or right you know right. they were already doing one Gary was already doing Wine library and already already on a path to success and so it really came through my uncle and and his friend josh and I just wasn't afraid to ask for the connection and Josh sent an email to Gary. And it was essentially like, Josh sent an email saying, Hey, my, you know, Steve's nephew, he great kid graduating college. He's going traveling a little, but then he really wants to work at Vayner. And Gary sent like a five, five word email, like have him hit me up when he's back. We'll, we'll get him in. Something like that, you know? Right. And so when I moved out to SF, we just, went through the interview process and you know, I still had to go through the same interview process as anyone else would. But when you have the the CEO of the company saying, like, hey, this kid, I know, you know, I know this kid's this kid's uncle. And as long as I did a pretty good job in the interview, which I think I did, I think I had a good shot of getting the job. So I still interviewed at different places. I remember I was interviewing at Yelp. I got an offer there. I, I wanted to make sure that I had some collateral. I think even if you have like a surefire thing and you know you want to do it, it doesn't hurt to interview. And I, I use those other interviews as kind of preparation for the Vayner interview. Certainly, yeah. And then as leverage too, of like you know, VaynerMedia is a social media agency. I was living in San Francisco, which is a very expensive city. They don't pay the same as as these other companies. So I got a tech offer and tried to leverage that a little bit.
0: What did the conversation look like? Did you know? Was it with Gary and and really around? Hey, I want to live in San Francisco. Like, how did that go?
1: You know, when I when we first hit up Gary, it was very much like Alex is going to move to New York. That's where he is, and that's where the whole company is really built. There, you know, that's that's the right. headquarters. But I think we probably just said, "Hey, life, life update." Like, you know, you have to you have to go with your gut, and you have to make the decisions that you think are right for your life. And at the end of the day, it's your life. It's not anyone else's life. It's not your parents' life that you're living. You have to make the choices that you feel like are best for you. And that's hard at like, you know, 19, 20, 21, 22, I I just turned 30 and it's a lot easier to see that, that like everything that I do in my life should serve me because if I serve myself, I'm going to be a better person for those around me. Exactly. But it's harder to see that when you're younger and and you really care about expectations of others. So at the end of the day, you know, the biggest advice that I can give to everyone and I try is one, you can only run your own race. So I used to kind of have have a lot of issues with comparing myself to other people. And I think yep. for for our generation it's become incredibly hard because we see everything everyone does. When exactly. our parents were growing up, they knew their immediate circle, what they were doing, what their success was. But, you know, I couldn't know like this guy that I met once or this guy that I never met who's like a 26-year-old CEO and then <laughs> right. that's planted in the back of my head and now that's like I got to be that guy. So that has really served me and, and a mentor of mine from VaynerMedia, actually, a, a woman named Claude Silver, who's uh, an incredible, incredible woman. She's, she's VaynerMedia's chief heart officer. I don't yes. think that role exists anywhere else. And, uh, she's literally there just to, to serve the people. Like she has an incredible ability to be empathetic and to relate to people and, she was a huge influence on my life, both at my time at Vayner and even even after. And she just helped me realize, like, pursue what you love. And you know, I try to to give that advice to other people. You've got to listen to yourself, right. and you have to run your own race. And the more that you do that, things will fall into place in ways that you just can't predict. So exactly, like, I I don't know what I'm going to do after Stripe necessarily, but I know that if I keep pursuing things that I love and I'm true to myself, that that those things will fall into place and, right. and, and talk about it. Talk about the things that you're thinking about and the things that you care about and the things that you love. Like I, I mentioned a couple of times that I'm super interested in education. I'm not doing that right now. I've right. done it in different parts of my career, but I know that ultimately I wanna do something involved in that area. And so I talk about it a lot. Whenever I'm with people, both at Stripe, I'm not afraid to tell people. Like, even when I interviewed, I think I mentioned that. Like, people are drawn to people who have passions, and yes. able to speak to those things. And you can't be afraid to speak to that, even if it doesn't relate to necessarily exactly what you're you're thinking about doing or interviewing for. Right. Like, I wouldn't interview for a, like a finance job and say, oh, I hate finance. I only like social media. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. But you can right. be
1: like, yeah, I'm super stoked on finance and I'm really interested in how that intersects with social media. And, you know, that can end up leading to a, a niche that you create within the company or something. So that's really That's a important. bit of a tangent, I'm sorry.
0: No, 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 no. That was a very good tangent. I'm going to tie that back. I had another episode. It's not launched. Well, by the time yours is launched, it will be launched with Shannon Deegan. And Shannon is a senior director at Google, just a wonderful human being. He used to have to send an email directly to Larry Page of all the new hires. He had been, uh, Shannon had been there for a while. And Larry Page, one of the co-founders of Google, the biggest thing he would look for is, are these people interesting outside of their work? Do they have passions? And interestingly enough, like I, I follow Gary and I do garage sales. I flip sports cards. And it's given me a way to put a lot more content out there. But also I know that I'm, more interesting to people because they're like, wait a minute, sports cards, talk to you. you just sold a card for $2,000. Yeah, Hang on, talk to you. And I, I'll tell you, the clients that I work with, I work in automotive, they're like, hey, wait a minute. We want to hear more about this. Because I talked to them about market inefficiencies. It helps you find patterns and and inform, you know, just different trends and things like that. And so the other thing I wanted to mention too, you just turned 30. When I turned mm-hmm. 30, the the comparisons... I struggled with some anxiety when I turned 30 this mm-hmm. past May because of the fact that I can open LinkedIn at any time and I can find a 21-year-old millionaire CEO. I can find people. It's very easy to fall into that trap. So I'm glad you brought that up too because you, you're you right. You really should run your own race. You can't predict. It it's, happens in every episode where people say, I never saw this kind of happening and I just followed my gut and what I liked. And sometimes that can be tough. But think about the things you like. Like I'm researching sports cards when I get home from work. I like that, right. right? Like I'm on this podcast with you. I enjoy that, right? Because if I'm tired, you know, things like that. And so, so you're at VaynerMedia. This is a well-known company. You're, you're getting that experience. Real quick on the mentorship piece. I mean, did you ask, like th- this eventually becomes a chief heart officer. Did you say, hey, do you want to be my mentor? Like, what did that look like?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I actually think about that a lot. Because I feel like when I first joined Stripe, I put a lot of pressure on myself to find my Claude or my, I had a a bunch of mentors at Vayner, a bunch of really, really strong mentors. Gary was one of them and Claude was one of them. This guy, Zach McCune, huge mentor of mine. And so I, I felt the kind of pressure to find that at Stripe and these things just happen organically. Like it's everything in life. You can't really force them. So I naturally gravitated towards Claude. I think we both had kind of the same passion for life. We both were really curious. We both cared a lot about people. And she saw that in me. And so I think she kind of took me under her wing. And, you know, she was at the time, she was one of the VPs and she was working with clients. Like she had a full-time job at Vayner, but you could tell what she loved was just, talking to the people within the company and making them feel like they belonged. And and that just kind of happened naturally with her, happened naturally with Gary. I don't know if he still is able to scale this, but at the time, every new hire he would sit down with and chat with a while and just get to know them. And you know, I felt like having watched a bunch of his videos, like you kind of build up an expectation of this person. And he was right. super true to who he was. Super authentic, actually. Like his his energy is 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 the same as he is in the videos as he is in person. So that's great. Naturally, felt really comfortable around him, and obviously respected his advice. And so I think I think to answer that question, no, I I I didn't ask anyone to be my mentor formally. I think that's kind of an awkward question to ask someone. It is, Um, yes. And I think like you know, there's a level. If you did it right, I think it could be great. Actually, if you say, hey, listen, John. I really respect your path. I feel like I see a lot of who I want to become in you. And I would really love to stay close to you and learn from you. I don't right. know how how that will be structured, but maybe we could set up like a monthly check-in or a monthly lunch just so I can kind of share what I'm working on, get your advice, and we can just connect. Absolutely. So I think you can definitely do that. And the more that you feel comfortable with that person, I think naturally you're going to have a better mentorship experience. I wouldn't go and try to have the person, I wouldn't look for a mentor and someone who's like, only fits one box of being like, right. in work, they've done everything you want to do. And so they have to be your mentor. It's like, well, they have to have that and you have to have some sort of connection. Like They have to get you as a person and they have to want to be your mentor or else you're not going to get that much value out of it. At Stripe, like I, I've had a lot of people who have influenced me and a lot of people who have mentored me, but it's more peer set oriented. Like, you know the people that I learn from and grow from are, are mostly just like my peers, people in my role or around yeah. me. Yeah. And Stripe's also like scaled to be a really, really large organization, and everyone's super smart around you and super busy. So it's like there's a sense of, hey, learn from everyone around you as opposed to being right. like one person to be your mentor.
0: I'm glad you said that because I'm also starting another podcast where I'm I have two wonderful students who are documenting their experience moving through the last few months of their senior year, and I'm mentoring them to help them find a position. And one of the things that I just talked about, and I've spoken to UVM about this because they're looking for mentorship stories. Mm -hmm. A lot of students, a lot of the time, mentorship happens and you don't even quite know it. Yeah, Like you don't don't say, hey, Alex, do you want to be my mentor? It really doesn't happen that way. It's really more organic. It's really, I see a little bit of myself in you. You see a little bit of yourself in me. And there we go. And Gary Vaynerchuk, I will plug him. I think for students, he's someone you want to follow. He puts out a lot of content. You're living what he says a lot too. You're giving yourself permission and space to follow the things that you want to follow. And sometimes people can be drawn to that. Yeah. And I know we want to force it. I know we want to be ambitious and there's a balance there. But some, I, I bet Claude probably saw a little bit of herself in you and just was like, hey, come here, let me let me help you. And you might not have even known it in the moment. And so, you know, but you're doing that and you're that's so great because you're going to be happier when you're honest with yourself. And so you're at VaynerMedia for a period of time. What mm-hmm. happens after that?
1: I was at Vayner for, I think, a year and a half. I was in SF the whole time. I probably halfway through, got a promotion and changed teams. I joined what was called, I think, the core strategy team. So I was focused more on partnerships. And I I really enjoyed my time there. I learned a ton. But the way that social media had shifted from when I was doing those marketing internships at OKOK to the time that I felt ready to leave Vayner was pretty drastic, like it, it shifted from being really, really organic focused to being much more paid focused yep, and much more how do we optimize and get essentially like get every, squeeze every dollar out of out of these these campaigns and and convert users and that's great. I think it serves brands in really unique ways, but it wasn't as much what I got into social media for. I got into social more for the story for building a brand for engaging a, a community around a brand that's what excited me and right that kind of died off like it became really saturated and i just kind of think i lost a little bit of the passion for the space yeah that that happened but the bigger thing really was in the back of my head i felt like i had to move to israel so i mentioned i went on that birthright trip this is actually how i ended up meeting maya when i moved to right. israel And so in the back of my head, I was like, I just, I I went there and I felt an incredible connection. It was only 10 days, which is wild. I'd never been, none of my family had ever been. And I just felt an incredible connection to the place and the people and the land and and really felt like I had to live there. I felt like I was called to spend some time there and I kind of put it off for a good two years and tried to focus on starting a career. And by the time I decided to do it, I was probably 25. I was a, you know, a year and a half into Vayner. I really enjoyed my time there, but I just felt like I was ready for a change. And I kind of asked myself, I was like, if I don't take this leap now and do this now, am I ever going to do it? I'm probably not going to do this at 30. I definitely am not going to do this at 35. I might be married and have kids by then. We're thinking about that. And it it just changes your freedom, your ability to be free whether we like it or not, it, it changes over time. And I really spent a lot of time reflecting and, and meditating on it. And it just felt like the right time. So I sat down with Gary and told him I was ready to leave and that I had to go pursue this this kind of passion. And he of all people would understand that and right. told my parents that was probably the harder conversation. <laughs> and yeah. 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 So I, did, I left Vayner. I, I left San Francisco. I went back to the Cape for a few months. I was interviewing at a, at a couple companies in Israel. I had one friend there who helped me out, a high school friend who's still one of my closest friends today. I ended up finding this company online. Israel of all places is, is, a, is an incredible place to network. It is a very small country. It's 8 million people. And yeah. everyone is super social and wants to help you out so That's especially great. expats in israel so especially which is a huge population americans and europeans who moved to israel so there's a huge community of those type of people and i just tapped into that as much as i could like i would start telling people hey i'm moving to israel and a lot of times they said oh i have a friend who lives there and i created a spreadsheet of all the people that i was yes. mutually connected to and i had this spreadsheet and i got their numbers and their linkedins and i just hit everyone up i had phone calls Emails, LinkedIn messages, like if you if you know, you and I met on the street, I would tell you I'm moving to Israel and you'd say you had a friend. And I take <laughs> that's, that's
0: it. Great. That's
1: great. So that's awesome. I ended up building this huge kind of spreadsheet. And then I built a spreadsheet of companies that I was interested in. And I found this company called Elevation Academy, which is if you're familiar with General Assembly, yeah. Uh, super similar model. They're Israeli company founded by two Israelis. And they were building out at the time they were building out project management and social media boot camps. And I saw they had a position for a digital marketing program leader. So I hit them up on the their website and ended up going through the interview process. I had to build out a syllabus. I had to do like a demo lesson over VC at like 9 PM because of the time right. difference in, right, in San right. Francisco and it was kind of one of those things where i was like ha- had a, a ton of imposter syndrome because i had been working a proper job for a year and a half and that was super focused on social media which is a small subset of digital marketing so like this syllabus that i put together social media was like if if you want to break it down into chapters was like one or two chapters of 10 and the rest was like email marketing and seo and display ads and website building and branding and like not that much that i knew and right. so i had to just be like man for whatever reason like this popped into my world and i'm going to go for it if they give it to me then i deserve it and i'll do the best that i can and so ended up that i got the job i like leaned on everyone in my in my space to help me build the syllabus and I did my own research on these other spaces. My brother was working at Google, he still does, and so he taught me right. a little bit about SEO and Google Ads and I did HubSpot certification, that free yeah. certifications and just learned as much as I could and was able to speak to it decently well and showed that I was super super passionate about teaching and that I had innate skills in that and I think that they, you know, they sensed that I didn't have the full experience that they wanted but they sensed that I would work really hard and be passionate about it. And so they gave me an offer. I ended up moving a couple months later. I arrived in Israel like October 1, and I was in their office October 3, I think. Yeah, I built out a digital marketing boot camp from the ground up. I had a bunch of students that were from all over the world. And it was like a a 12-week boot camp, I think. Brought in a bunch of instructors from the local startup scene. So I yep. got super connected really, really fast to the Israel, Israeli startup scene because I was bringing in teachers from Google and Facebook and Wix, right. and a bunch of entrepreneurs. And, and that was an incredible experience. It was kind of one of those experiences where it was like a sprint the whole time. Like, you know, you're sitting on the edge of your seat the whole time, just kind of like, right.
0: Right. you're going and you're going.
1: Like, you know, creating lesson plans of stuff that I didn't really know the night before the lesson. I was 25, so I could handle it. And it was really, really yeah. fun. Incredible experience.
0: Absolutely. And so talk to me a little bit more. Did, did you outright, when you say they sensed that you didn't have the skills, did you address that in the interviews at all, like head on? Or how did you handle that?
1: Yeah, I think, I think uh, so this guy, Avi Sneer, was the CEO. I think he mentioned it to me at one point. He's like, hey, we have this other guy who definitely has more experience for, than you. He's more knowledgeable, but he's right. Israeli and his English isn't as good. And, and I was like, listen, I, I, I understand I may have gaps, but I'm confident I can fill them and I'm willing to work really hard to do that. And I was just honest. I wasn't going to lie and say that I knew a ton about something I didn't. I also wasn't going to outrightly tell them if I wasn't asked that like I had these major gaps. So I think that there's kind of a balance. You have to be like, Hey, here's where I'm really strong. You have to be willing to speak to your weaknesses. But your weaknesses should actually tie into your strengths in a way. So, Meaning like if you have weaknesses, your strengths can a lot of times make up for those. And Gary actually is a huge, huge proponent on not focusing too much on your weaknesses and doubling down on your strengths. Yes, And so that's really what I did. I was like, Hey, I have some gaps here. But listen, I I have experience teaching. I'm incredibly passionate about it. I'm really, really good on social media. And where I'm lacking, I'll learn from other people and I'll bring other people into these lessons. And I think they bought into that.
0: Yeah, that is an important, you, you said, you talked about imposter syndrome to define that quickly. It's really that loss of confidence that maybe I'm, maybe I'm, you know, above my head in water with a certain role. Everybody feels this, like everybody, you're going to feel that at some point and doubling down in your strengths and tying weaknesses in. Like, so what I would say for you just from this phone call, I'm thinking, okay, your strength, you have that ability to teach, right? So you double down on that. You know what you know, you don't know what you don't know. You're okay with i'm gonna go out to my brother and and he's gonna teach me a little bit of seO i'm gonna go find resources to help cover some of the gaps, but not be afraid to lean on people again, I call back to some other interviews I've had but some very high level people who have done exactly that they're good at removing barriers they're good at you know leading and setting a vision. They might not be like world renowned in architecture or other things, but they let those people do their you know jobs so I think For students, for alumni, the practicality as you hold different jobs, you'll figure out what do you gravitate toward. What is it that you know that you're good at and that you believe in? Keep track of those. I love that you mentioned the spreadsheet too, because I just told that student that I was interview, you know, doing the interview. Come up with a spreadsheet and track all these connections because that's really going to help. Yeah, and and so this is great. And and the other thing too, I'll say is the role that you're in put you in proximity to companies like Wix, Facebook, and Google. And when you show up for opportunities and you're detailed and you work hard, people will see that and that can lead to other opportunities. So talk to me, what happens next after you build this boot camp?
1: The next part of the story is a little chaotic and kind of like stuff that I couldn't control. I ended up getting really quite sick. And so the boot camp was like three months and then I got all these students internships at Israeli startups. And so after that, I was kind of just like, program managing their experience and building for the next course. And so I had a little bit of a breather and I went home for like the the Christmas break back East and was in Vermont with the family and kind of recharging. And when I went back to Israel in the beginning of the next year, so it's 2016 in February, I got a really bad stomach infection. And I think part of it was like, I was grinding so hard and I frankly, I was really stressed. So like, When I look back now, I realize that I was always capable of doing it. But in the moment, it never feels that way. You know, it's really hard to give yourself that advice of like, hey, you can do this. But I think the biggest thing is what we talked about earlier is like things work out in the end. And if there's a failure, there's a reason that you had that failure. You needed some sort of lesson. Uh, You needed to learn something. You needed to become more resilient or grow. And so failure is actually a really, really positive thing. If you go through your whole life without failure, you're not really going to learn anything. Not necessarily that I failed, but I struggled in the sense I got really sick. I ended up leaving Elevation Academy. I didn't feel like I could do it. And I felt like I had to focus on my health. And so I gave myself a little space to focus on getting healthier. And then I was like, okay, I want to stay in Israel. I'm feeling better. And so I started to use all those connections that I built up um, through the program to start freelancing and just doing, you know, digital marketing, freelancing stuff for friends and, yeah. and clients yeah. that I met through through the program. So I ended up having like three or four clients and it was actually a super nice balance because I was able to control how much I worked and how, how much I took off. And so i decided I wanted to stay in Israel at that time. So I made Aliyah, which means becoming a citizen. You get a little bit of a stipend for living. So I had yeah. that. I had three or four clients that I was doing social media campaigns for. I was doing like Facebook ad optimization, mobile campaigns. I was going into this one one company, Sidekick's office two days a week. And then I was just working yep. from my house in one day a week. So I was probably working the equivalent of three days a week. And yeah. giving myself space, making enough money to, to live. It wasn't making right. a ton by any means. And I just felt like, okay, I have this freedom. It felt really good. And so I decided to go back to the Cape for the summer to just keep freelancing. But being, you know, Tel Aviv in, in August and July and August is incredibly, incredibly hot. And yeah. my folks live on Cape Cod and I don't think there's really a better place on earth to be in the summer. Oh, right. So I was like, I'll go there and work from there. And a bunch of life things happened. And I started dating someone who I grew up with on the Cape and we kind of jumped right in and I actually had a another health complication that kind of came from gut infection that was different and unknown at the time and so it felt like a lot to move back to Israel with those you know two new factors in my life of having a new relationship with someone who had never been to Israel wasn't Jewish so there's whole visa complications there and an unknown health thing and I just didn't feel right so I kind of listened to the universe in a sense and felt like you know if me and this woman were going to start a new chapter let's do it somewhere that's right for both of us. And so Absolutely. we decided to move back to San Francisco and probably three months later, I started at Stripe and I've been there ever since.
0: Yeah, so this is the, all really interesting things. And I think you're gonna find adversity no matter who you are. And so for you, that came in the form of this gut infection infection, and some health things. And so I think recognizing like, again, when if students are listening or alumni are listening, and I even know that Gary talks about this, you know, not to preach, but like, you know, I sleep, try to sleep eight hours a night. I'm sure you do too. You don't, you don't need to be this crazy person that I sleep three hours a night and I'm going, I meditate, you know, I try to meditate every day. Right. Uh, And it sounds like you've probably done some of those things too. So again, give yourself permission. It's okay to take care of yourself. It's okay to recognize if you're going too hard, if you're overwhelmed, talk to your friends, talk to your network. It's okay to share those things. That's really important. And. And good for you. I mean, things come into your life that change the course. And you can't predict, you probably had no, you know, this woman that you, you know, rekindled again or met again, like you didn't know that was going to happen. And then you go from there and it can be exciting. And so when you go back to San Francisco, how how did you get connected with Stripe? Did you just cold apply and like, what did that look like?
1: Yeah. So I'll kind of preface how I decided to even apply there.
0: Yeah, that also would be helpful.
1: Yeah. So I came back and having just done kind of the, the education technology space, that's kind of what elevation is. It was a you know, a startup trying to be in the education space. I was I was pretty fired up on that. And I felt like it was a great intersection of my passions of like, man, education, technology, I can have a good career, make money, but still work on something I'm really passionate about. And so I was actually super focused on interviewing at ed tech companies when I came back. And I was focused on sales and partnerships roles, which was a big shift for me. Because historically, my whole life, I had, I had kind of avoided sales. And yeah, yeah. I had done so because I kind of created a stigma in my head of what sales was. Most of my life, I, I felt like people pushed me towards sales, right? Like I, right. I was told that I'd be really good at it. I knew I liked working with people. I liked connecting with people. I got pretty fired up on negotiating just in, in daily life stuff. Like if I was traveling, that got me really fired up. But right. for whatever reason, I had the stigma. Like I didn't want to be the dude cold calling people, blasting out cold emails. I think most of the stigma was created because my, my uncle at the time had a barter company. And he always tried to get me and my brother to go work for him. We would have been doing like BDR stuff. So business development you know the entry level job which we would have started at consisted of a lot of cold emails and cold calls and that is what i created in my head of of what sales was like so right. i didn't have another perception of what sales could be like and i think yes. letting things evolve over time and letting your perception of things and and letting your passions change over time is super super important yep. because if i had been really rigid on that and stuck to that standpoint that i never would have done sales I probably wouldn't have ended up at Stripe, and I've 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 had an incredible, incredible experience, and I've learned so much. And sales has helped me grow a ton, and it's been actually, a, I think the the exact thing I should be doing. Right. So I had that shift happen where I st- I started to open up to sales and partnerships because a lot of the work I was doing at Elevation and even some of the work I was doing towards the end of Vayner was essentially sales and partnerships. Like it was very client or partner facing a lot of telling people your story and what you're trying to build and getting them on board. And I realized I liked that. I like working with people. I liked being client-facing. And so I, I became more open to those type of roles. So I started looking at different companies. And I just wanted to make sure that wherever I joined, if I was going to do sales, it was the right culture. I was going to find a culture that felt right. So I was doing a bunch of EdTech interviews. I was interviewing a company called Raise.me. Awesome, awesome company. If you've never heard of them, they do micro scholarships for high school students to get to try and get into college. So like incentivizing incentivizing students who didn't think that they could get into college to start to get these micro scholarships, which can open them up to bigger scholarships. So I was like fired up on that pretty far down the process with them. And then I did the same thing as I did Israel. When I came back, I uh, put together a spreadsheet of all the companies I wanted to work at. All my potential connections. And my brother was at Google, and this guy, Daniel Stallsmith, who still works at Stripe, used to work at Google and was now working at Stripe. My brother didn't know him at all. But I asked my brother to go on LinkedIn and look at kind of his mutual connections and where they worked at. Yeah.
0: So, yep. Yep.
1: Daniel was a second degree connection on LinkedIn to my brother. And so my brother hit him up on LinkedIn, I think, and was just like, Hey, man, my brother's interested in Stripe. Would you be willing to have a quick call with him? Maybe we even had Daniel's email, which is a little better. And so we emailed him and Daniel replied right away and was like, Hey, man, super busy this week. But like, just have Alex send me his CV. And I will submit it internally. I think without that, I probably wouldn't have gotten in the door. Maybe I would have, but it probably would have been a slightly different process. So... I always urge people like to leverage all those different secondary connections and not be afraid to ask someone for a coffee. Be really direct with what you want and what your ask is. Like, don't ask someone for 30 minutes of their time when all you really need is them to submit your CV internally. Like, you can, you you probably shouldn't directly ask for them to submit your CV internally, but be like, hey man, I'm super interested in your company. I want to be really mindful of your time. Like, I'm just trying to get an interview there. If you have 15 minutes to talk to me, great. If not, if you'd be willing to submit my CV, that'd be amazing. So that happened, yeah. I'm a huge proponent. I actually wrote like a LinkedIn post about how to use LinkedIn to get a job. You did because I was so fired up on it. Yeah, (laughs) Uh
0: yeah. And so quickly, I want to call out too, just to jump back quick. The sales culture incredibly important. Sales looks a lot different in different organizations. You have to believe in the product, but there's also different. Methodologies and some can be very aggressive, and you are just pounding the phones, but others can be very much listen, identify, solve the problem. And then the mindfulness of time again, it's so great because this aligns so well with what the advice I was giving to this other student is you know, try to keep it at 15 minutes. Yeah, because that just shows me you're empathetic to the fact that I have limited time. Where if you're coming to me and you're not saying those things, and I'm not okay, is this are you gonna try to keep me on the phone for like an hour? You always end up talking for more than that, but. It Just be mindful of that. And I would encourage everybody, your your LinkedIn post is very well done. So everybody listening, Alex Litwin, go find him on LinkedIn because I just liked and saved that article because it's very good. But talk about that more. I mean, talk about like using LinkedIn to find a job.
1: And I'll, I'll make a plug, like, you know, most of the people listening to this podcast probably went to UVM. The fact that I went to UVM and that you went to UVM is enough for you to reach out to me. Yep. Like that's all you need. And just send me a LinkedIn message. I'm pretty sure my email is listed on LinkedIn, which I should probably change, but um, (laughs) send me an email and say like what you're interested in and if it's relative to me and how I can help, like I'm willing to help in any way I can because we're both catamounts. Like it doesn't need to be much more than that. And it's true of most people, like one, go to rule of thumb, people like talking about themselves. Yes, so they do. they're happy to get on a call and talk about their experience for 15 minutes. You can kind of inflate their ego a little bit by just being like, "It's super cool what you've done," and and be authentic about it. But that right. works. And right. two, don't be afraid to leverage second, third degree connections. People also like to help other people for the most part. Right. Well, right. I believe that most people are generally really good and they're willing to help you. And as long as you yep. ask them in a way that isn't a huge lift for them, like you mentioned. Yes, I think most people are going to be willing to help you. And the last thing I would say is that don't get discouraged when some people don't respond. People are really busy. Yes. Some people never check LinkedIn. Not a big deal. Keep trying. Yep. Try don't a different hand at the same company. Uh, don't take anything personally in life ever.
0: Yeah, seriously. So so true.
1: Yeah, so yeah, just just figure out where you want to work, what you want to do, and hit people up that are in that space. That's pretty much yeah. And use whatever avenue. Like, maybe it's not LinkedIn anymore. Maybe it's uh, Snapchat. I'm I'm off all the social media stuff. Like, I used to work in social media, but other than LinkedIn, I'm I'm pretty much off of it just for personal reasons. But there's plenty of ways that you can can reach people, and then go to networking events too. Like, you know, whether that's at UVM while you're in college or, or post UVM. I've been meaning to tap more into the kind of UVM alumni space. And I think, you know, yeah, naturally it happened that you reached out to me. I actually just got an email from like the alumni history department. They're doing a whole career stories thing. So I think it, it naturally happened, which is really cool. But That's
0: so perfect. I'll put a plug in. UVM Connect is the LinkedIn for students and alumni. Cool. So I'm in there, like you, I can even send you a link if you want me to, but that's how I've connected with so many people. Cause I, I get it. Social media is interesting. I'll reach out to people on Twitter, but you know, it's tough to look at social media cause there's some negativity and you know, there's that, but there's ways that fit everybody. Like you don't have to be on Twitter. You don't have to Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn. Like, but this UVM connect thing is how I've been reaching a lot of people and they signify themselves as willing to help. And so your story, it's such a great one because you really, you listen to yourself, you give yourself permission to pursue things that you enjoy and that you love. You overcame some adversity, things have fallen into place and it really does boil down to being genuine toward yourself and then ultimately connecting with others and just getting a foot in the door. And as we wrap up, this has been such a solid hour of content, I loved every minute of it. Is there anything else that you wanted to touch on or any other final parting words that you want to make sure students and, and alumni hear
1: yeah I mean I could speak to this part for like another hour um, I
0: know
1: <laughs> I'm super into trying to help people figure out how to be true to themselves and I think the kind of audience that you're serving John with this podcast is is perfect for that like yeah it, it ties into a lot of what we talked about throughout in in terms of Making sure that you're really, really hyper focused on yourself and not other people. You know, there's a lot of cliches out there about listening to yourself and following your path and whatever way you want to call it. Like, there is a lot of truth to it, and it takes time to develop that ability to really listen to yourself. For me, meditation and yoga and all that really helped me, like, yes. get to a yep. place where I could have that ability to really breathe a little and 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 listen to myself and and make sure that I was doing things that served me and being being yeah. mindful when I wasn't. So I think that's a really big thing is like, it's really, really hard when you're 21 or 19 or whatever. Like if I if I could do anything differently, I have no regrets in life. I don't really believe in regrets, but if I could go yep. back and yep. do something differently just to serve me in a different way in my life, I would probably have doubled down on that earlier in life. Like while at UVM, I would have tried to get really focused on that type of stuff. Like. Be more in the outdoors, be doing yoga, be doing meditation. And I would have done things outside of just my core responsibilities at UVM that helped me grow as a person more. Like there's so many resources that we didn't, that I didn't realize as a student out there that you can tap into to help you build a network or learn more or... Learn learn different things. So like tap into those things and don't be afraid if your your friends, your homies are going to like laugh at you about doing those things because yeah, at yeah. the end of the day, they're actually going to be jealous. Like at the end it, of the day, they're going to look at you and be like, damn, that dude is pursuing something he's into. Like that's really cool. Right. And even if right. they don't say that and they're like, oh man, Alex is a loser for doing meditation. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. that's, on them. Right. that's not on yeah. you. Yeah. So, so don't be afraid to be different if that is true to yourself.
0: I struggle with that a lot, and, which I do
1: too, man, for sure.
0: And 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 now, so like, I, I love this. I'll calm and ten percent happier. Really, have helped me to yeah. just get to an awesome place and listen to myself better because so I struggle with that. But I can say from experience, when I started to go to garage sales, which I love, like it's so much fun,
1: and started to buy actually. and flip sports.
0: Yeah, dude, it's it's literally like my summer was amazing because my girlfriend is, you know, she's in grad school. So she's like, always studying over the weekend. So I started doing this, started flipping sports cards. And like, I love my friends to death, but they would tease me quite a bit about it. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, yeah, I just made $1,000 on this card. Or yeah, I picked up a comic for a dollar and sold it for 79. And yeah, you know, I just actually had this LinkedIn article that was trending in different categories, because I wrote about how garage sailing taught me to be a better product manager. You just start to realize, even this podcast, like before I started this thing, I was like, who's going to listen? Who's going to want to join? I've never done this before. We're almost at 500 downloads. We'll probably hit a thousand by the time yours is out. And it's bit like, I'm ha- the happiest I've ever been just pursuing these things without, yeah. you know, don't judge other people because the second you stop judging others, then you'll stop worrying about them judging you. And that's again, I, thing. It, that's the thing, you know? Yeah. And so, but you embody that really well. So I'm really excited to share this story. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. We have plenty more episodes coming. So make sure to subscribe, share with a friend and leave a review. Have a great day.